Hi there, I'm Robin Amos. Here with me today is Mike Fox, Head of Sustainable Investments at Royal London Asset Management and Fund Manager of its top-performing Sustainable Leaders, World and Diversified Trusts. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Despite the coronavirus outbreak, all of your funds have seen strong inflows this year, with your Sustainable Leaders Trust taking in $400 million in April alone. How much of this is down to their outperformance and how much of it is due to broader interest in ESG at the moment? So our feeling is it's half and half. So certainly, historically, sustainable funds were really just used as products for people with very specific values or specific sustainable views in terms of wanting to use their money for positive social and environmental change. Um, Increasingly, though, they are being used as core investment solutions, really because when you think about it, you know, sustainable investing should actually be able to deliver returns at least as good as any other products and hopefully better. So therefore, if that is the case, why should they not be used for all investors, not just sustainable investors? So, And this is a big change from a year ago um, where really, you know, like I say, sustainable funds are only used for Um, a certain type of investor. So the flows have come in from both areas, growth in sustainable and then acceptance as a mainstream uh, product solution. Could you ever see yourself potentially turning away investors at some point? I don't think the capacity of any fund is infinite. You know, and I think um, it's a good test for any fund management house and products when you do actually begin to, you know, really focus on your existing customer base rather than growing it further. But our feeling is really that existing product sizes can be doubled without any liquidity problems. So we are some way away from needing to ask that question. Which were your most and least successful stock picks in the March crash? So our most successful stocks have undoubtedly been in the healthcare and technology sectors, really because those are the two sectors which their inherent value should increase as a result of what's going on. So if you take a business like Roche, Roche is a a diagnostics uh, operation within its overall group. Um, And in the UK, we are using Roche Diagnostics to do antibody testing to see who may or may not have had coronavirus. So obviously they've been a big beneficiary of what's gone on. Um, equally in the technology space, you know, cloud computing has been fundamental in our ability to work remotely. So you know, companies such as Microsoft and Google have been big beneficiaries there. On the other side, you know, certain types of property we own have been more problematic. So we own Unite, uh, which I think is a great company, student accommodation. Um, but clearly what's going on with campuses and whether they will or will not open up in September and October has been a, a drag to the shares. So you know, we don't feel like the long-term fundamentals have changed. People still want to go to university, but in the short term, they've been very much in the focal point of people who have had coronavirus concerns. Which factors have uh, influenced ESG's outperformance more broadly? And how are you exposed to those? So I think ESG is really predicated on a very simple question. You know, do you think an environmentally poor, socially irresponsible, badly governed company will be a good investment? And our answer to that is a resounding no. So really, we just say, if you have a choice as an investor of choosing good ESG or bad ESG, 
just use a good ESG and you often find yourself investing in companies that provide solutions to environmental and social problems uh, rather than the ones that are creating those problems in the first place. So, you know, I think that good ESG solutions versus problems is a good way of understanding why this area has performed well. And I think those uh, points are durable. I don't think they'll just go away. Isn't there sort of an element of sector bias towards technology and healthcare and those kind of things? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, um, you know, I've run leaders for 17 years now and when you're doing well, it's always because you own something. Um, But the fact that you own it and other people have not chosen to own it, there's always more of a compliment, I think, than anything. Um, You know, the skill, though, is over a long period of time, can you evolve? You know, can you find the next cycle? Can you find the next area that will become interesting? And, you know, we do think that healthcare is exceptionally interesting at the moment, um, as well as technology, but there'll be other areas. So, so yeah, absolutely, there are sector biases. And we know we own no oil and gas um, companies. I mean, brilliant. I mean, you know, there's been huge capital destruction in that area. So, you know, it's, um, you know, we take it more of a compliment than, than anything else that, you know, we've been able to allocate our funds to the better areas of the market and away from the worse areas. Will sort of ESG factors continue to outperform when we come out of lockdown, do you think? Uh, we suspect so. I think we, you could argue the last 10 weeks has done more for ESG than the last 10 years. You know, this idea of solutions versus problems, good ESG versus bad ESG, and if you pick the former of those two choices, you're going to get a better financial return. Um, you know, it's, everybody can see it now. It's clear to, to, to the naked eye in that respect. So, you know, I don't, and like I said, I don't think that goes away. I think those reasons are structural. And, you know, so um, everything can ebb and flow. You know, who knows what's going to happen in the next three to six months. But we are strongly of the view that, True ESG integrated funds, true sustainable funds will over time deliver a better investment return than those that don't integrate this uh, type of analysis. In a recent piece from a magazine, you uh, suggested that you know in 10 years, all funds could, could be sustainable. I mean, how, how would you differentiate yourself in such an environment? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. I mean, I suppose it's the, the question, aren't you out of a job in 10 years' time if everybody's doing this? And... Uh, You know, it's an interesting point. I mean, we've always felt that true ESG integration was a market inefficiency um, because it wasn't culturally accepted, because asset managers were not operationally set up to access it. That If you could do it, then it was a huge informational advantage. And I think the more people that do it, the more you've got to accept that that starts to change. I think it then becomes who does it better, who does it best. You know, so for example... um, you know, valuation is something that's used almost by everybody, every investor. But, you know, some people will use it wisely and effectively and some people won't. So even if something is broadly adopted, you will still get a spectrum of people who are good at this, people who are okay at it and people who are poor at it. And we would argue that, you know, this is our 17th, 18th year of doing this, that that knowledge bank will be a will remain a competitive advantage even if ESG becomes more used uh, more broadly. If it turns out we're entering a, a long and deep recession, do you think that companies will still pay attention to things like ESG? I think it'd be a test. I think it'd be a test of who uses it just to improve their marketing and who actually is committed to it. 
um, you know, I'd put another differentiation in and say equity versus debt. So in the debt world, there's an increasing pool of capital that is looking for environmentally and socially positive bonds. Um, you know, if I'm a treasurer as a corporate, that means lower basis points to me. It means cheaper debt. So I think, you know, you'll find in areas where there's a close financial linkage between ESG integration and a lower cost of capital for corporates, so that will remain, um, you know, but there's no doubt it will be interesting as corporates inevitably cut costs, you know, where those cost cuts fall and, you know, the ones that are truly committed to ESG integration will remain so and the ones less so, you will see them, um, you know, reduce their allocation to it. Have you uh, exited any companies over their treatment of employees during the uh, crisis? No, not specifically. I mean, there are certain companies that we think um, done better than others. You know, I think uh, if you take Rentskill, for example, you know, the CEO took a 35% pay cut and the remaining 65% put into a fund for employees. Um, you know, we think that is, you know, exceptional in terms of a responsible corporate. And there are other corporates that, um, you know, have used furloughing, you know, quite considerably but yet still perhaps not reflected those changing circumstances in their own executive pay. And, you know, those are the ones that we need to go and talk about. So, you know, I think it is to your previous question about uh, corporate's commitment to ESG, it, it is a good test and we do see a spectrum of behaviours, but there's nothing yet has been so egregious that we've decided to exit position for that issue alone. <laughs>